are, uh, we're wrapping up our, our little mini-series on prayer today. If you haven't been with us, I, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the past couple of weeks. Um, not because I was awesome, but because it's been good for me. Like this week, we were on vacation um, at the beach, which I love the coast. I'm not a big fan of sand, sweat, and heat. Like, not my thing, but I love my family, and they love the beach, so I'm more than happy to endure uh, for them. Um, but during the week, it was good for me to even kind of go back through the things that we've talked about about the past couple of weeks, and just, um, like, I'll be honest, I, I didn't open my Bible this past week. Like, I spent time just in these, these moments of just prayer, of just recycling things in my brain. And, and granted, from, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, and I'm not giving myself a scapegoat, but... Uh, if you've been following Jesus a long time, sometimes you do get to open the Bible without opening the Bible. And it was good this week for me just to kind of sit in some things and to even go through like the Lord's Prayer in my brain of like, why is it that this is the posture that Jesus gave us to pray from? You know, like when he said, when you pray, pray like this um, and like that position, that posture of prayer. It was good for me to kind of go back through that this week and just uh, spend some quiet moments of just, you know, praying with some things in mind of like letting God know how, how good he really is. Um, and then even agreeing with his will verbally, like, God, these are the things that you've done. These are the things that you want. I agree with those. Thank you for bringing me to that place. And then, you know, even the petition of things in our heart, of, of things that, that we know that, you know, I don't know what's going on here, uh, but things that we know that, that God wants to do and asking for those. But then even some prayers of deliverance, too, which we'll talk about, just things that we need God to do and see, need God to show up in. So it, that was good for me this week. I hope it's been good for you. Today's kind of a two-parter a little bit. We're going to, to wrap up kind of Jesus' teachings on the prayer, in prayer of when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount. At least in Matthew, that's where it appears. In Luke, it, it happens in Luke 11, but, but Luke writes a little bit differently. Chronologically, things appear differently, but it's there. Um, but then we're going to do like a brief survey of like prayer in the book of Acts. Because here's some, an acknowledgement. Um, like when you talk to people about prayer, and we brought this up, like a couple confessions that are going to come out really quickly is like, I don't know how, and we've said this, like people will say, I don't know, I really don't know how to pray. Um, how do I do that? Or I'm not very good at it, which is kind of the same thing. Or um, I need to be better, or I need to do it more often. Those are the confessions that are out there about prayer. But here's the acknowledgement, and this is the reason we're going to look, kind of walk through Acts quickly, not going to cover everything, because prayer pops up about 30 times in the book of Acts in 28 chapters. Um, but the reason it's important is for them, like, prayer was a natural byproduct of a relationship with God. And we see it pop up so frequently because it was like, it was just, it was what they did. And byproduct not being a bad thing, it's just, but it's, it's kind of like community. We see in Acts chapter 2, like they came to Christ, they confessed him as Lord at Pentecost, thousands of them, like Water talked about several weeks ago. And then the very first thing they did, they moved into community and prayer was a natural part of that. Like they were in fellowship with God, they were in fellowship with each other, and they were, their fellowship with God was evidence in the fact that they devoted themselves to prayer, which we'll, we'll address this morning. But... Uh, I did want to cover Matthew chapter 7. Go ahead and turn there before we, before we jump to Acts. Um, there was kind of a point that we made last week about when we pray. It's all about the who. It's about who we're talking to. He's trustworthy. He's all these things. And Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 7, also Luke 11. Um, but I want us to look at Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Talk through that briefly and let that kind of be a springboard as, as we jump into the book of Acts. And so I'm going to pray, and then um, we're just going to walk through several passages this morning. And it is going to be a little bit like Bible drill, but it's going to be, it's going to be confined to just two books, mostly. And so just, just hang on. So let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. 
God, we thank you for the invitation that we have, not just into a saving relationship with you, but into a communal relationship with you, Um, a relationship that is so vastly different from what the world offers uh, when it comes to thinking about who a deity is and what a deity does. God, you're a father that says, I want to know my children. I want my children to know me, and then I want them to make me known. And, Father, that occurs through us having this walking, talking, breathing, um, God-initiated relationship with you. God, we want to say thank you for that today. Thank you for Jesus who demonstrated it and bore himself so that we could see you. Um, And, God, today we, we want to rest in his words of what it means to pray, how we pray. And then, God, thank you for the example of the early church that we can look to Um, and we can pray like them, pray almost with them, in a sense. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had included his portion on prayer. Um, You know, how not to pray like the hypocrites, how not to pray like the pagans who would just heap up empty words. We've talked about that. And then we looked at when he said, and when you pray, pray like this. And that's when we have the Lord's Prayer. Apparently there was a question on Jeopardy this past week about the Lord's Prayer. Did anybody see this story? People were really upset because people didn't know the Lord's Prayer. And everybody's like, I don't know. They couldn't remember hallowed, be thy name kind of a thing. And so... Uh, that is kind of where we're going in our culture, and I'm not talking about culture today. I'm talking about kingdom culture, not the culture that we live in, but either way, it was there, and so I thought that was pretty funny. And so then, after he talked about prayer, he talked about fasting, he talked about where our treasures lie, and even talked about the passage that we talked about during the money series of, like, don't be anxious. You know, don't worry about where your stuff's going to come from. I've got you. And all this time during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is doing a couple of really interesting things. Number one, he's correcting what we think about right behavior and wrong behavior, about what it means to live righteously, letting us understand that it's not possible for us to do it on our own. And like, even their perception of sin, he was like, you've heard it said this was bad. Well, I got to tell you, it's a whole lot harder than you think. And we come to a conclusion of, I can't do this. And that's the right conclusion, because we can't. Apart from Jesus, we cannot live out that life. And so even on the Sermon on the Mount, it's pointing us to our need for Christ, our need for an intermediary that's not my actions, that's not my good intent, that's not my best behavior, but it's, it's just Jesus. And so then... He goes to that Matthew 7, 1 passage, which people misquote all the time, and they get some head movement in there of, like, don't judge me, uh, taken completely out of context. But then we get to 7, 7, and he's going kind of back to the prayer idea of what it looks like, and we're just going to pick up right there, read through four or five verses, and then chat about it. So he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Exclamation point. Luke gives another example or kind of a a parabolic type phrase right before that, a bit confusing, but in Luke 11, he was like, or which one of you, for instance, uh, you have a friend come and visit and you don't have bread. So you go visit your friend in town who does have bread, but it's late at night and they're all in bed and you knock on their door and you ask them, can I have bread? And eventually they give you bread. Uh, He says, or which one of you, you know, would do that? And it's a confusing text, but both of those are pointing to, like, if we, as flawed human beings, give good things to people who ask, understand God is exponentially better than us. And so if we can do it, he can even do it better. 
And in this text, and Jesus is giving us a couple of things about prayer and informing us a little bit more about prayer. Number one, he's telling us that if we, in the name of Jesus, through his will, if we ask of something that is within God's will, God is going to do it. And he even gives three examples. He says, uh, ask, number one, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks it will be open to you. And then later, down at the end of this text, um, he's reminding us that that everyone, that that phrase is mentioned there, that everyone is contingent upon who their father is. And so the everyone is not necessarily the all, the same all that we see in Greek that means all, but it, it is the everyone, those who are calling God father um, because he is our father and that's been done by grace. And so a couple of things are going to stick out here. Number one, um, God is a good father. Like, this just happened to land on Father's Day, and I'm not going to take this example farther or farther than it needs to be. Get that? But, um, uh, but the reality is, like, when we're praying to God and when we're beseeching him uh, for the things that we need or for the things that we need to be delivered from or for the wisdom that we need, we have to understand that we're praying to the best father that we can possibly imagine, better than any father on earth. And he even tells us this, like, you know, which one of you, if your son comes to you and asks you, you know, for bread is going to give him a stone? You know, ask for something else is going to give him a serpent. No, you're not going to do that. God is better. He's going to give you way better things than you think that you need. And even, uh, you know, if we go back and we look at our lives, there have been probably plenty of instances in which God has given us a surplus, more than we ask for. I think most men in the room who are married, you know, would probably say, hey, I remember praying for a wife, and most likely God gave you a better wife than you deserved. Well, 100% chance God gave you a better wife than you deserved, but he probably gave you a better wife than you ever asked for. Wives, I can't say that the same is true for you because I'm, I'm not a wife, but I am a husband. But either way, there's been anecdotally plenty of times where we've seen that God is just above and beyond. He's just better. And, and then we also have to think that, you know, he's going to actually, and this is crazy because I don't like to think in terms of reward, but, but God's actually going to reward those who are in him who are seeking things from him. Like, he's going to reward us by answering our prayer, by granting us access, by opening doors, by welcoming, welcoming us in. And so for us, I think it's important for us to think through, like, if these are the terms and the ideas that Jesus is attaching to when you pray, pray like this, the posture that he already gave us, and then clarifying a little bit, like, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open to you because God is a good father. We need to bear this in mind when we say things like, I don't know how to pray. We need to bear this in mind when we say things like, I need to pray more. We need to bear this in mind when we say things like, I think I could do it better. We need to bear the, this in mind because Jesus made sure to let us know it's not as hard as we think. It's not as complicated as we think. It's not as foreign as we think. It's not as odd as we think. And so the believers, the church, the ecclesia that God built from here through Jesus and the people that were following him at this time, like for them... It just occurred. It just happened. Now, granted, they were living in a culture in which uh, their Judeo ethics had made it a, a very common idea to pray. You would see people praying in public. You would see people praying at family gatherings. You would see things happen. So it was a bit more common. But understand, like for these people, they, they didn't need to read a book on prayer. They didn't need to go to a weekend workshop or get away on prayer. Uh, they didn't need 
a three-part series on prayer. And this is not me knocking the church because I'm a part of this culture too. Because I will readily confess that there have been times in which for me, like prayer is just weird. Like just openly I'll confess that there have been times for me where I'm, I'm just in the middle of it. And I'm like, man, this is really weird. And even last night I was laying in bed and I, and I just kind of confessed to God. I'm like, you know what, God, it is pretty crazy that, that I, I get to talk to you. Like that doesn't make sense in my little bitty brain. You know, the human head weighs eight pounds, but apparently the brain's only like three pounds. Anyway, in my three-pound brain, maybe two and a half pounds these days, like, it doesn't make sense to me that I, like, have ready, available, um, confident access to the God of all creation. And, and I think that, coupled with just misunderstandings about it, sometimes it just, just makes prayer odd. But Jesus here, in a moment, with the Sermon on the Mount, to his disciples, those proper disciples, those general disciples, and those on the outside, he's like, look, I want you to understand, if God is your father, and you are his kid, you ask and you will find. I mean, you ask and you will receive. You seek and you will find. You knock, and he will open the door for you, because he's that kind of dad. He's that good. And so, as you pray, as you think, like, we need to be able to do it with a boldness and an assurance that, number one, our, our dad hears us, and he wants to hear us, and he wants to answer us, and he wants to provide. He wants to open doors. He wants to do those things because he's a far better dad than we can possibly imagine. Um, a couple other passages that inform this just a little bit. Um, John chapter 14. I don't think I put that up there. Did I? No. Yeah, so John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking a little bit more on prayer, and, and he just reminds them. Um, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this is 14 verses 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Further informing us about the whole idea of seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened, all of those things. This, he's adding a little bit of qualifier of you ask in my name. And this is not um, us adding modifiers to our language of like in Jesus' name, like we do that. But at the same time, this is like implying like here's some, some ideas. Like, yes, these are the things that he's going to grant, the things that are in line with his will. Like in Jesus' name. Like for God's glory. Those are the things that we seek and he gives. Those are the doors that we ask to be open, and he opens. Those are the things that we, we ask, and he gives. And so in order for that to happen, a lot like we've talked about over the past few weeks, sometimes before we ask for anything, before we petition God for anything, we actually need to stop, and before we ask, say, God, I need you to direct me to the things that I need to want. You know, those desires in my heart that you're going to grant me if I delight myself in you, I, I need you to actually supplant those desires in my heart before I start to seek them. And so sometimes, like, if we're going to ask things in Jesus' name, in Jesus' honor, for God's glory, so that he will grant them, give us, to, give us them, those kind of things, we just need to ask God, what are those things, before we ask for them. And so it's kind of like a pre-prayer prayer, kind of a deal. And sometimes that, that might be the bulk of, of what we do. Like, you know, we might need to ask for guidance before we ever ask for anything specific. You know, before we ever ask for that job, we may need to say, God, do you, do you want me to even leave my current job? You know, before we, we think about who we're going to marry, we, we might have to ask the question, God, do you want me to marry? You know, those types of things. But then there's also this idea that in James chapter 4, verse 3, which go there further kind of elaborates on this idea, James is telling the early church, which is probably our first chronologically written book in the New Testament, he's telling the early church, there are things that you're asking for that you're not getting because simply you're asking wrong. Chapter 4, verse 3, he's basically like, look, you're asking for selfish things. You're not asking for the things that God wants. You're asking for the things that you want. You want Dolly Parton's mansion down there on the coast when that's not what God wants for you. 
Now, Dolly Parton's mansion is pretty big. Um, I've seen it when I'm fishing. But either way, like, you're asking for things. You're not getting them. Why? Because you're asking for stuff just for you. You're not thinking about God's glory. You're not thinking about what God wants. You're not thinking about any of those things. So maybe for you, if you've had a long list of petitioning God and none of them have happened, maybe you need to ask, God, am I asking for the wrong things? And so there are, there are ideas of, yes, you seek and find and ask and be given, knock and it will open. Like, and the everyone only applies to actually those who are collectively and relationally our children of the Father God. But at the same time, it's like, God, if I'm asking for stuff that I'm not getting, is it because I'm asking for the wrong things? Maybe we actually we need to stop and remember being in line with God's will, like prayer is not to change God's mind, but it's actually to change ours Maybe before we start to entreat God to do things, we just need to start with just like, God, what do you want? What do you want? And that's what I'll ask for, like repeatedly. What do you want? What do you want from me? What, what, what do I need to follow? What do I need to pursue? And so all of those things in mind, I want us to jump to the book of Acts. And I want us to look kind of, like I said, a brief survey. And there are going to be a lot of passages up here, but um, just follow along with me the best that you can. And this is kind of the reason that I want to point this out. Because when we look at the book of Acts, I think we have a unique opportunity to see, like, the best version of, like, a Marvel origin story. You know, like, every superheroes movie now is, you know, they've had several superheroes movies, and now they've got to go back and tell you how it all started. Okay, so we get to look at the origins. They're, they're really, really good, and that happens to be our, our name, too. But that's an accident, and that just happened. But either way, um, when, we look, when we read the book of the Acts, we actually get to see how this thing, this church, this body of believers, this body of Christ actually started, and we get to see the things that they practiced, those things that we did um, as, a, as a family. And so it's really neat to look at that in the sense of uh, if we are struggling with what to pray, like we looked at the posture of prayer last week, like when you pray, pray like this, and, and we looked at some of the things that Jesus is saying about um, how he grants prayers, he's a good father, all this kind of stuff, but sometimes in us we're also still asking like, well, okay, well, what do I actually pray then? You know, I know you're telling me to ask for what God wants to do and seek that, but maybe, you know, maybe I just need a little more guidance to get started on, on what do I actually pray for. Here's one place that we can never go wrong. If we look at the early church and we look at the things that they prayed for and we see that the way that God moved in that, we probably can't go wrong praying for similar things. Now, granted, the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning there are some things that occurred in Acts that only occur in Acts they didn't occur before. They probably didn't occur after because this was the beginnings. You know, it's kind of like when a baby's born. A baby's only born once. Okay, that doesn't happen again. So it's, prescriptive, it's descriptive versus prescriptive. But in the case of the prayers, a majority of those things, uh, we apply them to our situations, and they're pretty safe. They're pretty safe. If we're looking for what to pray, uh, they're pretty safe. But it starts with this first part. The first thing that we're going to see is that the early church in the book of Acts um, is they were, they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Starting in Acts chapter 1-4, this is right after Jesus had ascended. He had left them. Um, chapter 1 verse 14, it says, and all these with one accord, weren't talking about the car, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so this was right after Jesus was with them and he ascended. He went back to where he rightfully needed to be. He left them with the mission, which we call the Great Commission. And then shortly after that, they had lost one of the 12 disciples. That was Judas, who had betrayed Jesus and hung himself. And so they had to replace him. They prayerfully replaced him with Matthias. And then they were together. And it said this, I'm going to read it again. And with all of these, with one accord, with one mind, with one heart, they were devoting themselves to prayer. 
together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. It says, so they were together, and from the get-go, they were devoting themselves to prayer, which meant that it wasn't, it wasn't separate from, which meant that it wasn't an additional thing, but it was something that they saw that was so intrinsically valuable to who they were now that they knew they had to intentionally and togetherly go after it and make sure that it was a part of their life. And it wasn't something that they had to learn how to do. It was, it was already there. Like it was a part of them following Jesus. Because for them, I do think that a lot of times we have an advantage over the disciples because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's in us at the moment of conversion. Like that's a, that's a huge deal. We can't overlook that. Jesus talked about that frequently. For the disciples at this point, uh, the Spirit of God was not in them yet. Like they had seen examples of it. They had walked with Jesus. They had walked with God. He was indwelled fully with the Holy Spirit. They had seen all those things. But for them, they were still followers in the sense that they were going after Jesus, but they were not yet indwelled by the very Spirit of God. And so, but in this place, uh, they could remember just conversations that they had just had with Jesus like hours ago. And so for them, in this place, they did have an advantage or a leg up. But for them, they, they knew that if they were going to survive this thing, if they were going to endure this thing, if they were going to be this family that Jesus had made them by his life, his words, his death, and his resurrection, and now his ascension, they knew that they actually needed to speak to God the same way they saw Jesus do it. And so they, by natu natural progression, they devoted themselves to it. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is after uh, Pentecost. This is after the Spirit had come and made his dwelling amongst the people who were choosing to follow Jesus, abandoning their sin. Uh, right after they, um, thousands were added to the church. In chapter, chapter th uh, 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And so now it wasn't just the, the specific disciples and those few general disciples, maybe a couple hundred, but now it was thousands. Thousands. Living in this family together that was defined by one Father God, one Savior Jesus, one indwelling Spirit, and now they, thousands upon thousands, devoted themselves to prayer. They knew that it was so important that it couldn't be an afterthought, it couldn't be a, if it happens. It couldn't be right before meals and right before bread. No, it had to be a part of life, like it had to be there. And so for us, again, like confessionally, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to do it collectively. Sometimes it's hard to do it individually. And the longer we don't do it, the harder it is for us to get started again. It's not natural for us. And I'm, I'm not, today I'm not trying to diagnose why that is. Like, that's, that's not my job today. But I want us to point out and see that the early church, for them, it was there. It was intentional. And then in Acts chapter 6, verse 14, we flip over another couple of times. In Acts chapter 6, 14, I think, no, 6, 1 through 4, pardon me. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, uh, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. At this point, there became divisions against uh, Greek believers and Jewish believers. And the disciples, the teachers, the overseers, the shepherds, they were having to serve tables. And it's not above shepherds and pastors to serve tables, but it had grown. It had gotten really, really big. And so they said, here's the plan. Uh, you're going to pull out seven men 
that have a good reputation, that love the Lord, and we're going to appoint them to these duties so that we, the shepherds, the overseers, the pastors, uh, can devote ourselves just to seeking God in prayer. Again, they were devoted to prayer. They knew that above all things, like serving is great, taking care of people is great, putting food on the table is great, taking care of widows and orphans is great, but prayer is better. Prayer is better. Like one of the common things that we see in the book of Acts, there was never a mighty movement of God in the early church unless prayer had happened first. Over and over and over. Like I said, about 30 times mentioned, 28 chapters in the book of Acts, prayer always preceded the mighty move of God. But for most of us, confessionally, even me, sometimes prayer is an afterthought. Like God does something and I'm like, wow, God, that was, that was really neat. I never thought that you could do that. But for the early church, they were so in tune, so in line with the will of God that, yes, they prayed for it before it happened because God was pressing on them the need for it to happen. So their way of agreeing with the very will of God was to devote themselves to prayer and seek it to happen from God himself. And so in this place, in Acts chapter 6, it's we want to serve, we want to take care of people, but if we're not praying beforehand, it's useless. So we need to appoint people to do these things so that we may just pull back and just seek God for the church. Just seek God for the church. They devoted themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 9, a slightly different take on this. We have this guy Saul who would later be called Paul. It wasn't a result of his conversion. It was just a naming kind of an issue. That's a, a separate topic for a different day. But either way, in chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. This man, Saul, was blinded on the road to Damascus. He was previously persecuting the church, killing the church, dragging them away. Jesus shows up, completely wrecks him, changes his mind, and then sends Ananias to talk to him and talk to him about what's going to happen. And he says, this will be a sign of his conversion to you. You will find him praying. This will be a sign of his conversion to you, no longer his persecution of the church, is that you will find him praying. Yet it's awkward and weird for us. But not only should it be a devotion of my heart, it should actually be evidence of the new self. Like it should be evidence that the old is gone, the old of the person who only cried out to God in the foxhole, to the new who gets to cry out to him at any time he wants whether blind or whether seeing, whether on the road to Damascus or whether on the road to Williamston, South Carolina, like we get to talk to God and it should be evidence of who I am and whom I belong to, even for a man like Saul. They devoted themselves to the prayer and it was evidence of who they were. Second thing that we note in the book of Acts, we're going to flip back to Acts chapter 4. Verse 23. I'm going to read the text and I'm going to tell you what led up to it. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And it says, And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. That's prayer, by the way. Sovereign Lord 
who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? This is Psalm 2, by the way. And the kings of the earth set themselves, and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Right before this, a few disciples were arrested uh, for speaking about the name of Jesus. They were arrested, they were, they were speaking about the name of Jesus, and, and then they, they brought them to the side and they said, Look guys, um, you, you can't do that. You can't talk about Jesus in the city. Um, we are forbidding it. And they were like, uh... I appreciate you saying that. I really do. Those were great words. Uh, but we can't help but to speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. You know, there's no choice for us to obey men or obey God. We're, we're going to simply obey God. And so that's just the way that it is. And they basically threaten them. And they're like, nope, you can't do that. And so they let them go. And then after they let them go, they go back to their friends, a.k.a. the church, the body of Christ, defined by Jesus, raised by Jesus, redeemed by Jesus, indwelled by the very Spirit of God, linked to God the Father, and they said, you won't believe what just happened. You won't believe it. And they said, let us cry out together to God. And by the way, if you read the prayer that they prayed, it is almost the exact posture of the Lord's Prayer. Remember, pray like this. Acknowledge God where He is. Seek Him. Call Him what He is. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. They start with this right here. They, they cry out to the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in Him. And then agreeing, uh, not our will, but Your will, as on, earth, as, in, as on earth as it is in heaven. And then He talks to them here, and He's like, Who through the mouth of our Father, Your servant David, said by the Holy Spirit, repeating the very will of God. And then they began to petition Him. And ask for deliverance. Same thing as the Lord's Prayer. The same posture as the, as the Lord's Prayer. But what they did in this moment, they didn't say, thank you God for taking us out of captivity. Thank you God for delivering us out of prison. No, they said, God, would you give us more boldness to do it again? Most of the time when we see adversity, even when it's in the name of Jesus, what we do is we ask God, don't let that adversity come back. They said, bring it on as long as it glorifies you and allows us to speak of your name and offers you chances to heal and to bring people to a saving knowledge of you. Give us boldness. The church in Acts, the other thing they did, not only was, were they devoted to prayer, not only was it a, a sign of their conversion and their new identity, but they prayed for boldness and they prayed for the things that they needed for the mission. They prayed for boldness and they prayed for the things they needed for the mission. They didn't pray that the mission would go away. They didn't pray that the persecution would go away. They just prayed that with an understanding, uh, God, we know it's your will that this happens. We agree with you in that. And now we're asking for boldness that we may continue. And, it, and they did. Like prison, yep, that was fairly common in the book of Acts. You know, martyrdom, it was happening. It had already happened. It would happen again. And, and it would continue. 
But over and over, it was God give us boldness to do it more, to say it more, to speak. And for us, this is what this looks like. I think, number one, if we are praying with boldness uh, for the sake of the gospel, praying for the things that we need for the mission, number one, I think we pray by name for those people who don't know Jesus. For us. Like, we have those people in our circles. Like, we know them. We know their first names. We know their last names. We may know their birthdays, and we know they don't know Christ. And so we pray for them by name because that's needed for the mission. For us to beseech God on their behalf that they may know him, come to call him Savior through Jesus and Jesus alone. We pray for them by name. We pray for access into people's lives. For Katie and Water, you guys are going out to a place in which looks completely different from us. It's probably closer to post-Christian than we are here in the glorious South. Then pray for access into people's lives. But we do it here too. Like, the, like Greenville is. Like we are a, a, a bubble within the Bible Belt. Like, that's the beauty of 29601. Like, I, I love our zip code because if you, and if we even did a show of hands right now, which we won't, like, who's from Greenville? Most hands would not be raised. Like, all from all over, and we appreciate that. We really, really do. Like, we're glad, we're grateful for that. And 29601, it's made up of transplants. It's also why we lose some of our best people, because it's still a transplant city sometimes. But we pray by name, we pray for access, and then we pray for the same things they prayed for here. We pray for wisdom, we pray for boldness. Wisdom on how to speak, boldness to speak when we need to. Pray by name, pray for access, pray for wisdom, pray for boldness. Because what the, the, the early church understood is that all of this, persecution, um, God growing them day by day, those who were being saved, they understood it wasn't about them. They understood it wasn't about uh, it wasn't about their name. It wasn't about their house. It wasn't about you know, their city's name being great. It was about the kingdom of God growing and growing rapidly and growing beautifully and growing with love and growing with grace and growing with mercy and just growing by number. They understood. And so they didn't pray for persecution to go away. They prayed for boldness to increase. They prayed for opportunity to increase. For us, I think we mimic that. There's no, like, granted, this is a dangerous prayer. It is. It's a dangerous prayer of like, hey, sovereign God, God that's completely in control, you know all things, you've orchestrated all things, I want to agree with you in the way that things happened, even persecution. Uh, God, in the midst of that, I'm asking, give me more boldness, give me more wisdom, you move more so that your kingdom may grow. Use me however you want. That's dangerous. But it's also a kingdom mindset. And we have to have it. Like I very rarely say you have to do this, but I, but I will say this. Like, if we want to see the kingdom grow, we have to think like kingdom people. We have to think like kingdom people. And not Elrod kingdom, not Origins kingdom. I'll be honest, I don't care if Origins ceases to exist if the kingdom grows. And I, I mean that with all my heart. I don't care if I'm out of a job tomorrow. If God said, look, I will grow my kingdom by 150 to 200 people and Origins will shut down, or Origins can keep going as is, I'll say, let Origins die. I'm okay with that. I don't think that's God's will, but if he said that it is, I'll sign on the dotted line. And I would expect the rest of us to, too. We have to think like kingdom people if we want to see kingdom growth. They prayed for boldness, for the things that they needed in the mission. And then, here's the last thing, Acts chapter 12. And this is not every place that they prayed in the book of Acts, because if you, again, read it, there's a lot. But Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. It says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Like I said, persecution was everywhere. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, one of the sons of Zebedee. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. 
delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, comma, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Here's the last thing that they, they prayed for. They didn't pray for hard times to go away, but they did pray for provision during the hard times. They prayed for provision during the hard times. And in this place, they, they just prayed for, for Peter. They prayed for Peter. He was thrown in prison. James had just been killed. They thought it's very likely that Peter, this Peter who spoke first and thought later, but he was awesome, they thought he might be killed too. And so they collectively prayed for Peter. They prayed for provision during the hard times. And so what we see happen after this, it's pretty nuts. You need to read the book of Acts. I mean, it's crazy. It would make the best movie we've ever seen. It'd be, man, it'd be a great miniseries. But shortly after this, Peter was. He was tossed in prison. Didn't know what would happen the next day. And he was asleep. And an angel woke him up. He thought he was having a dream. An angel woke him up and said, hey, get dressed and put on your sandals. Now, I'll be honest. If I'm asleep, Somebody taps me on the shoulders and tells me to get dressed and put on my sandals, and they're shining, like brilliant, because all angels shine, I'm going to freak out. I'll probably think it's a dream, too. He did. He thought it was a dream or a vision. But that angel said, hey, get up, get dressed, put on your sandals. And they walked right out. Doors opened, and they just walked right out. Because the people of God stopped in the midst of hard times, didn't pray for hard times to go away, but they prayed for, for, for provision provision in those hard times we're guaranteed that they will come we're promised they're going to come and and i think we've had it really really easy for a long time as the church in this country and i'm, I'm not wishing it on my kids like i'm not i'm not wishing persecution but i know it's coming and it's not just hey you can't say that you can't wear that. You, you can't have that bumper sticker. You, you can't. That's not persecution. That's disagreement. It's not what I'm talking about. Like, this is persecution. Being tossed in jail for whom you follow. Being killed for whom you follow. That's persecution. And it, it will come. And when it comes, when it comes, I think if we follow the model of Acts, we don't pray for persecution to go away. We pray for God's glory, but yet his provision during the midst of hard times. Just like that last prayer. It was just... God, we know this is coming. It's by your will. We've seen you grow the kingdom as a result. So let us just have boldness in the midst. In this moment, Peter's tossed in prison. He very, very may well be killed in the next few moments. And they just, they collectively get together and they seek God. Prayer. They seek God. I think in light of all these things, here, here's what we pray. Number one, we pray for God to make prayer natural for us. Like, pray for God to make prayer natural for us. Because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful to teach on it and to walk through it and to think well on it. But at the same time, like, this, it, it should be natural for us to speak to God. Like, it should. And I know it's, I know it's not for a lot of us. And, and I'm, not, I'm not hammering anybody and I'm not coming down hard on anybody uh, because I would be saying it to this, the same thing to me. Because some days it is just weird. But I think we seek God, and one of the things that we ask in this posture of prayer is like, God, make it natural for me just to speak to you. Make it natural. Make it supernatural, yes, but make it, make it natural and normal and just a byproduct of my identity. You will know him when you find him because he will be praying. Make us like Saul in that regard. 
Not the fact that we persecuted the church and we dragged people away to be killed. We don't want that. But just, we've met Jesus, and as a result of my newness, like I talk to God. Like, let's pray that that becomes natural. Along with natural, the devotion that we see in the New Testament, yes, it was natural for them, but they still made a huge effort. They still carved out time. They did it together. They were intentional. Make it natural, but make it intentional. Make it natural, but make it intentional. And that may mean, yes, and I know this takes the romance out of it. That's okay. It may mean you schedule it. Your day may be filled up. Your Google Calendar, if you use Google because you're smart, if you use Google Calendar, your whole day may be full from 5.30 all the way to 6 p.m. It may be full. That's 12 and a half hours. So if you actually want to be devoted to prayer, making it natural, making it intentional, you actually may need to put it on your calendar and say, hey, for, for these 30 minutes, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to talk to God. Now, granted, we, we pray all day, and that's okay. But if we want to be intentional, that may mean that we actually put time down on the calendar and we just spend it. Like, God, you are. You're great. God, your will is the will that I want. God, in light of your will, here are the things that I'm pursuing and I'm seeking you for. And God, here are things in my life that I need to be removed. And God, thank you. Whatever it may be, make it natural, but make it intentional. And then the third thing that we pray is just, God, let us pray in line with your heart. Let us pray in line with your heart. Let us pray in line with your will. And so for that, like I've talked about all week, all three weeks, and this is the same thing that I have to do frequently, like, God, before I ask for something, I want to know that's what you want me to ask for. And so, again, we've said it through his word, through his spirit, through his people, through his word, through his spirit, through his people, God, reveal yourself to me so that I may know what to go after. Reveal yourself to me so that I can know what to go after. So I think for us in the coming weeks, we pray, number one, God, make prayer natural for me, make it intentional and make it in line with your heart and your will. And, and if we're doing those three things, like, I'll be honest, I'm not going to tell you you're perfect, but I think it'll be a great, a great start or a continuation of what we've been called to do. So having said that, here, here's what we're going to pray together today. Um, we're just going to pray these three things together before we leave. And kind of like the prompts that we did last week, same idea, and then we're going to have some announcements and, and a benediction. Um, so... Let's bow together and we'll pray. Uh, and I'll kind of prompt you as we go. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the early church and, and their example of what prayer looked like for them. Um, God, I thank you that they were devoted. I thank you that they prayed for boldness for your mission, not theirs. And God, I, pr I thank you that you granted provision when they asked for it during the hard times. Uh, Father, as this church called Origins, a starting place for some, a continuing place for others, um, a launch pad for others. God, I I pray that as a church family, you would remind us the value of prayer, not just that it's, it's good and not just that it should be something that we have, but it should be something that we are doing as a result of who we are. Um, and for those of us, God, who confess that it's hard, that it's difficult, Father, I, I thank you that you hear that. And Father, I pray that you would move in us to make us a people of prayer. And the things that we ask collectively today are these. So in just this moment, Origins family, the first that you, I'm asking you to pray is, we seek God and ask him to make our conversation, our prayer with him natural. So just in the next moment or so, just pray that God would make your prayers natural and a byproduct of who you are.
Next, God, we ask that you would move in us in such a way that we would be very intentional with our time and the words that we use when we pray for you, pray to you. Seek God for intentionality with your prayers. And lastly, God, we, we ask that you would deal clearly with us, speak clearly to us through your word, through your spirit, through your people, so that we know what you desire and that we would seek that in prayer, seek that in faith. Father, we pray that our prayers would be in line with your will, and that's what we know to go after. So as a church, we pray, God, that, that God would make our prayers in line with his will. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being a father who desires to hear from his children. And we thank you for the assurance that you're a good father, that you give good things. Um, God, that if we ask, it will be given, that if we seek, we will find, that if we knock, the door will be opened. Uh, if we ask in your name, if we ask in your will, and we ask for your glory. Father, I pray that you would remind us frequently what that looks like, what that means. Um, and Father, you would grow us into a people that pray regularly, naturally, intentionally, and pray your will. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.